Hey, it is always good to be with you guys here at New Life. Thanks for welcoming me back. I guess you didn't have much of an option. Uh, Joe's on vacation, and I'm uh, a pinch hit today. So it is good to be here. For those of you that have a memory, um, and if you don't know this, it's a bit of an inside joke. Uh, that last time I had to preach here might have been the toughest text I've ever to preach. Uh, if we just let that one go and move on, if you don't know, good. Don't go back into the archives and find it. Uh, hey, listen, that is not on Joe. Joe gave me an out, and I should have taken it. Uh, he told me, he was like, hey, man, you want to you fit in our, service, our series? Like, yeah, man, it's great, it's great, it's great. I uh, didn't look at the text. I just told him I would do it, and then like a week later, I'm like, whoa, what have I done? Uh, yeah, this text actually today might be just as hard for a whole different reason. Uh, before we get in today, um, I work for an organization called Christ in Youth, CIY, and uh, we are also one of your partner ministries, and I just want to say thank you to this church. Um, you guys, whether you know this or not, you guys are really always investing in our ministry, and it's huge. Like, for an example, we will run, um, you know, 51 weeks of camps. These are four- and five-day camps. We'll run 51 weeks in 10 weeks this summer. Uh, and in fact, we'll see about 45,000, not four to five, but 45,000 junior high and high school kids. You're getting that done. This church is helping do that. Thank you. Uh, the good news is you don't have to load, yeah, you, you applaud yourselves. That's great. You guys are doing it. You don't have to get in semis. You don't have to go all over the country. You don't have to deal with the behavior issues of 45,000 junior high kids. You get a chance to say, hey, we're going to help these guys do that. But thank you on behalf of CIY for helping us do that. Um, we're going to kind of jump into this today. Uh, we'll be in Matthew 18. If you want to turn there, we'll start in verse 21 here in a bit. Uh, I woke up the other morning at my house, uh, get ready to go to work and making a pot of coffee before I get ready. Headed down the hallway and uh, it's early. My daughter graduated senior. She's also getting to go to work that morning. And I bump into her in the hallway. Say, hey, good morning, Sid. How's it going? She's like, hey, dad, I got home late last night and, uh, and I was downstairs to get some stuff out of storage. And I just want to let you know it's wet down there. I'm like, pardon me? Like what? She goes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's wet down there. I was like, what do you mean it's wet? And, and she's like, well, yeah, it's like, it's, just, it's like all the carpet and everything's all soaked. I'm like, Sid, why? Sweetheart, time out. First thing, first. Fire water, you wake a parent up, okay? Just future reference, fire and water. Those are wakeable offenses. Why well, didn't want to, I didn't want to irritate you by waking you up. I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm irritated because you didn't wake me up now. Uh, and so I go downstairs and sure enough, man, as soon as I turn the corner, we go down to the basement, I go down to the basement and it's just, it's just sopping wet. And it's this area of the basement where, man, you can feel free to judge me if you, if you want to. I'm judging myself on this one. Uh, I feel like a bad homeowner right now. We have this area in our basement that I don't go in. Let's just, it's not like I'm forbidden. I just don't go there. Unless I'm putting something up for my wife like Christmas decorations it's just this area my kids my boys that was their bedrooms were down there they're both married and out of the house now and I'm like this is not a spot of the house I really go to I don't I don't know when the last time was I went down there that's the embarrassing thing like it's been a while and as soon as I walk down there it's just slosh slosh it's everywhere I mean it's all over the place and I'm like oh my word this is bad and like I turn the corner I'm looking around and like, here's all the stuff on the shelves as well, as well as, you know, because my sweet wife couldn't, couldn't get everything up on the shelves, the cardboard boxes on the floor that are now soaked, so, you know, yeah, sopping up water, they're all wet around the bottom. And it's just, I mean, it's just a mess. It is gross. And I, I finally identify the leak. And this is where I'm just going to make myself look even worse here. A little bit embarrassing. The leak it's this little mixing valve above my hot water heater, and it's just a drip. That's all it is. It's just a drip. It's not even gushing. 
So that tells you, how long did this guy let it go? I don't know, man. The last thing I remember, sometime in January, I put up Christmas decorations. That might be the last time I went down there. Like, I'm totally embarrassed. Like, this little drip is, like, spread everywhere. Like, you're like, how long did this happen? I was tearing out carpet yesterday. It's that fresh, okay? So I'm not over this wound yet. Like, it's still living out in my house right now. But it was just a drip. Just a small drip in an air of my house that I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to or I don't really go in. You know, the truth of the matter is, man, when I was down there, you all of a sudden start noticing, like, the mildew. You can see it, like, on the edges of the boxes. You can feel it kind of creeping in. And then once you start smelling mildew, it, like, won't go away. It's all you can smell. And it smells like a sweaty gym bag that's been left in a car. It's just like, this is disgusting. Like, I don't want to deal with this, but I know if I don't address this drip, it's going to spread. We're going to get mold behind the walls. This is going to be a train wreck. It's, it's going to destroy this house at some point if I don't fix this drip. But the truth of the matter is, I'm busy, man. I'm busy, and I don't have time for this right now. Like, we had a trap. We had events to do all over the country. We had 45,000 kids headed our way. We're busy. Like, my son's, like, wrapping up travel baseball. I got games going on. Like, I don't have time for this mess. What I really want to do is just grab some Febreze and, like, just spray it down there a little bit. Like, let's just squirt a little of this stuff, and we all, like, no harm, no foul. Let's move on. But I know that Febreze is not going to solve the drip. Like, it's just not going to take care of it. I think sometimes that same drip that showed up in my basement, metaphorically, I think it shows up in our own hearts. And it definitely shows up in our churches. Yeah, it may not be a drip from a mixing valve, but it's bitterness, it's resentment, it's anger, it's unforgiveness. I remember I had a ministry, and man, to this day, these are still probably two of, two of my favorite. I'm not saying they're the two most favorite, but they're two of my favorite girls I ever had in ministry. Uh, it was a long time ago. Both of them named, named, named Amanda. Amazing young ladies, really. Like, they, they had led so many people to Christ. They were dynamos in our ministry, constantly bringing visitors, bringing people in. They set such a culture and a tone. Like, they were spiritual giants even at 16, 17 years old. It was unbelievable what these two, two girls were doing for the kingdom. Unbelievable. Until Dan... Oh, my word, Dan. Like, I like Dan and all. Dan's a great kid. Like, he's amazing. But Dan? Like, Dan? Really, Dan? And so, these two girls who are best friends at one point confided in each other that they both like Dan. And you want to talk about the wheels falling off. There is nothing more vicious than two teenage girls who decide they don't like each other anymore. Like, they went from being best friends, shaping our entire ministry to literally being at each other's throats for crying out loud. It's like, it was like our student ministry had some sort of like hidden fantasy draft where they auction off friendships. Like, okay, these friends go this way, I get these. And it just like, their whole reputation for, their whole influence was just like destroyed in that moment. Kids they brought to our ministry stopped coming because they could smell the mildew of bitterness. They could smell the drip of unforgiveness. They could smell like the mold that forms from bitterness and anger. Man, it's destructive. And I think a lot of times the same thing happens in our own hearts and in our own families. That unresolved issues, the drip that goes on in our own houses with some of our own family members and friends, when that continues, it starts to destroy us. And it's hard. I mean, it is hard. I mean, we live in a world of Karen's and cancel culture. Every time I turn around, my news feed or my social media feed is trying to tell me what the latest thing is I'm supposed to be mad about today. 
I think I wake up every day, I'm like, okay, now what am I mad about today? Okay, what are we all fired up about? Do we know today? There's something out there that we're supposed to be mad about, surely. And every time I wake up, like somebody's, and I feel like I'm always in this state where someone's trying to get me agitated about something. And then I, I live in this place where agitation becomes the norm. And I think, well, that's just how we live now. We just live irritated, irritated with people, with restaurants, with businesses, with friends, with family. And well, that's just how we do things. We're just agitated all the time. Forgiveness is hard. C.S. Lewis stated that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. It's a beast. We are conditioned for anger and outrage. What happens is we really only have two options. Option number one is we're going to make the people who offend us, the people we think hurt us, we're going to make them pay. And that plays out in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes that's withdrawal of relationship. I'll just ignore them. We'll cut them out. They're not invited to the party anymore. We won't have anything to do with them. I mean, I'll literally just cut them out of my life. I'll block them my post. I'll block them from my life. That I will literally withdraw relationship with this person and I won't even acknowledge your existence anymore. I want nothing to do with them. Sometimes we'll viciously confront them. Like, we'll just go at them, man. We'll give them a piece of our mind and we'll, we'll lay them out. Like, until we take a pound of their flesh with our words, we'll just, man, we're just gonna confront them harshly. We'll try to hurt their reputation. Sometimes we do it in passive aggressive ways. Well, you know, like, I don't really know if this is true or not, but I heard such and such about so-and-so. And all we're really trying to do is plant seeds in other people's hearts so they think negatively about that person like we do. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, what happens is my payback tends to be worse than the actual offense. And then sometimes we end up marginalizing entire groups over our grievance with one individual. We'll look at that one person Sometimes what I want to do when I pay them back, it, not only is it worse, but I'll, I'll ride off entire swaths of people over it. I've seen people do this and all of a sudden a, a teacher does something to the fans. Well, you know, all teachers in that school are that way. All coaches are that way. And then it even gets a little more sorted. Well, you know, that entire side of the family's that way. Or all men are that way. All women are that way. All Republicans, all Democrats, all people that are white, all people that are black, all Latinos, all Asians, all and we marginalize entire groups of people. Everyone at that restaurant, everyone at that business, because we've been offended. We marginalize entire groups, write them all off in big, broad brush strokes, and our heart gets really, really hard. So we can pay back, or we can forgive. Ooh. <laughs> Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing behavior. Forgiveness is not waiting long enough until finally the offense just kind of slips your mind. Forgiveness is not controlled politeness, where when you encounter the person, you'll smile, you'll nod, you'll acknowledge their existence. You might even shake their hand just a little firmly with a big smile, hoping they know that deep down inside you really don't like them at all. But you'll smile your way through it. It's not controlled politeness. It's also not ignoring accountability and it's not trying to just fake it until you make it. So it is forgiveness. I think it's dealing with real sin and real debt and real grievances. It's facing the offense head on. It is confronting someone for their behavior. But at the end of the day, forgiveness is granted and it is not earned. What it really comes down to is that you choose no longer trying to force them to suffer for the offense, but you choose to own that suffering in your own heart. It's extremely hard, and honestly, times I've done it in my life, and I do it in my life, it feels a bit like death. So this is a tough text. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, here we go. 
And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The master's servant, or the servant's master, took pity on him. And he canceled the debt and let him go. But when that, fellow, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe him, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he refused. Hmm. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So what's this about? I mean, at the end of the day, what I really want to do is get distracted by all the the other issues around the text like let's talk about like what you know let's get this whole that that issue what a talent was like what in the world ten thousand talents well a talent i could tell you was like it was the one talent was equal to 15 years wages this guy owed ten thousand of them it was like he owed 5.5 billion dollars at the end of the day man i'm really not dealing with what the issue here we we can talk about what a denarii was like it was a day's work the other guy one guy was like 5.5 billion the other guy he was like fifteen thousand dollars but i don't I don't think this text is meant to address like biblical currency in ancient days. Like, I don't think it's about that. It'd be easy for me to talk about. We'd all like learn some facts here. Like, we can talk about the 7 to 77 issue. Like, we can get into that and what, what Jesus really meant. Or we, you know what? Let's camp out and what like biblical servitude and slavery look like as compared to like what it was like in, in you know, American days. And we'll, we'll just live in the, you know what? Let's talk about debt. Okay, we're going to talk all about debt. You know, let's don't deal with the drip of the text. Let's talk about how bad debt was in this guy, debt in our lives. We'll talk about student loan debt, national debt, all kinds. I don't think this is about debt. Like, I think that's what I want to talk about. That's where I want to live because I don't want to deal with a drip. I don't want to deal with the root cause that the, that the real issue is about here. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Let's ask him. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, like $5.5 billion, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, about 15,000. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I, I will pay you back. But he refused. He said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, went out and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What is this text about? I mean, at the end of the day, I think some things are pretty obvious here. This is a pitiful and impossible situation. This guy could live 155,000 lifetimes and he's not gonna pay this back. The problem here is not the king, the problem is the servant. That's the problem. And the truth of the matter is, this is my story. And I've got good news, but I've also got bad news for you. This is your story. This is our story. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. I think we all understand the, the, the broader concept that, that when you are caught speeding and you receive a ticket for that, you understand that there's a penalty that must be paid as a result of that ticket. Like, you get that. But I also think we need to understand that the penalty for sin is, is way more than any traffic violation, and it's way more, the penalty for sin is way more than 5.5 billion. In fact, the payday, the penalty for sin in Romans 6 tells us that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You owe way more, I owe way more than 5.5 billion, and I couldn't pay this debt back with 155,000 lifetimes. Like, the only thing I have right now is death row. The king of heaven has called my marker, he's called my debt, and I cannot pay it. You cannot pay it. But all debt has a price. And even in this story, the king in this story takes that debt on himself. Sometimes we look at it like, oh, I just canceled it like it was no big deal. No, 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 all debt has a price. Someone has to pay. And Jesus took your death sentence. You were on death row. I was on death row because of my sin. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 14 says this. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Why? Why would he do that for you? Why would he cancel my debt? Why would he cancel your debt? Romans 5 tells us, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And not only does he die for our sin, but he actually chooses not to remember it. He chooses to push it out of his mind. Not, not as if he's, he's somehow got some sort of a mental breakdown where he cannot recall. No, he chooses not to remember. In fact, he says this in Hebrews 8. He says, not only forgive, for I'll forgive the witness, I will remember their sins no more. For some of us in this room, that, that's difficult to hear because you know who you are, you know what you've done, and you feel the guilt of your own sin like David in Psalms 51 where he says, for I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me, how can God forgive me? But I'm telling you in this moment when Christ on your behalf says, I will pay the debt, 
that there's no condemnation anymore. You're no longer on death row. You've been set free. Your debt is gone. It is paid by him. I love what it says in Micah chapter seven. Who is a God like you who pardons sin, forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? That's us. You don't stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You'll tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You were on death row. I was on death row because of sin. And in that moment, God the Father and Jesus had this conversation saying, how in the world, how do we, how do we set them free? And it's not like you can die for one another any more than an inmate on death row can die for another inmate on death row. No, it took something perfect. It took the life of Jesus in your place, in my place, to pay that 5.5 billion, way more than that, to pay our death sentence. And when Jesus comes to this earth, lives his life, he becomes a substitute for your guilt, a substitute for what I have done. He takes everything we've done wrong and cancels a debt, takes it on himself and says, I will own all of it with my life. In biblical times, whenever you would go to pay your taxes, you'd want to make sure that you came away with a very important piece of paper. And what they would do with this piece of paper, you'd walk up, you'd pay your taxes to the king and they'd stamp that, 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 that thing with a Greek word. It was tetelestai, little Greek word, tetelestai. You want to make sure you always left with that. Because if anybody came back later on, it literally meant to tell us I meant paid in full. It's paid, paid in full. Somebody come back to you later on saying, hey, I don't think you paid your taxes. You're like digging through your files all of a sudden, pulling out, <laughs> there it is, to tell us I paid. Oh, okay, you're good, you're good. Hey, the king's not sure you paid your taxes. To tell us I, you show them the receipt that year. To tell us I, paid in full. Okay, you're good, you're good. To tell us I, it's been paid, paid in full. Stamped on your receipt. On that moment when Jesus is on the cross, and we know the different words that he says. One of the phrases that he says on that cross is three words in English. He screams out, it is finished. But in Greek, the word he actually screams out is tetelestai, paid in full. And in that moment, he stamps your heart, he stamps my heart with a receipt before God the Father that says your sin, your guilt, everything you've done, it is paid in full through his death. Tetelestai is not about him dying. Tetelestai is about your debt being paid. You have been forgiven of a great offense. I have been forgiven of a great offense. Tetelestai, no guilt trip, no paybacks. Freedom. But man, as much as I want to camp out right now and live in that conversation and just say, hey, you know what? I could wrap up a little bit earlier. Let's all go home. I'm not dealing with the drip of the text. I'm not dealing with the real issue. We all feel good about that, like we could leave the room today going, man, that was great. I feel so much better knowing that. But that's not the issue here. So what's the issue? What's the central issue? Well, let's ask Jesus. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forget my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants and as he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll, I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 
He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, he turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I'll tell you what, when I first saw that guy, I was like, oh yeah, he's getting his now. I was like, yeah, go King. I could almost see the movie playing out my mind. Like, oh, King's got that guy for being such a jerk, man. He was so mean to that, you know, throwing another guy in jail, choking him. I was like, yeah. Like, I'm looking at this guy going, man, same hands, you know, same voice that you walked in and begged the king forgiveness. The same voice you begged the king is the same voice that you're, you're running this other guy down and screaming at him about what he owes you. The same hands that you're like, oh, king, please forgive me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those same hands you then took out and choked your brother because he owed you money. Same hands, same feet that you walked in there, fell down on your knees, begging that king to forgive you. Same legs, walked out, kicking this other guy to the curb. Man, I'm glad this guy got his. And then I realized, man, Sometimes the same voice that I lift up in worship, sometimes I use that same voice to hurt somebody that I think is done a grievous against me. The same hands that I'll use to turn this text will send another text that's condemning or hurting the heart of another person, saying something about something that someone else that isn't even kind same feet that walk me into the church or the same feet that sometimes I can symbolically kick somebody else to the curb that I want out of my life and I realize I'm no different. The king's not angry over the debt. He's angry over how the man has treated his fellow servant. So often in the stories that we watch, whether it be in movies or books, we always want to be the hero in the story. We always put ourselves in, in the place of the person who's the hero. But in this story, I am not the hero. I am the zero in this story. And in this story, you are not the hero. You are the zero in this story. You are the man. I am the man. I am the wicked servant. I am the unforgiving servant. And in this story, that's the posture we're supposed to take. We abuse after we beg. We're gonna go to Matthew 6 here in a second, but do you remember, I'll talk about it for a second. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Like, whole thing that Jesus goes through. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We talk about, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, you know, our trespasses. We forgive those trespasses against. We, we, we know this. We've grown up hearing it here and there, but a lot of times we leave out like a couple of verses that are at the very end of that. We just kind of carve those out and section them off. But Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15, the very end of the Lord's Prayer, this is what Jesus says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're not the victim here. We're the abuser. Why forgive, man? I'm going to just flood you with an inundation of scripture here. You can write the references down. You won't want to try to turn to them. I'll move quickly. 
Matthew 5, verse 7 states this, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Mark 11, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Colossians 3, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I could probably look up a 100 other texts from 1 Corinthians and on that we could look at today, text after text after text about how God's call in our life is to forgive because we've been forgiven. And forgiveness is not a matter of math or how many times. It's not about sevens and 77s. It's a matter of the heart because grace extended should be grace given. I owed a debt. I owed a debt that put me on death row. You owed a debt that put you on death row. And for me, I, I can't preach enough. I can't teach enough. I can't sing enough. I can't give enough money. I can't serve the homeless enough. Nothing I can do in 155,000 lifetimes can pay that debt, only Jesus. And he says to Telestai, Here's your receipt, Jason. Paid in full. You're good. Yet at times I want to go out, and maybe you want to go out, and hold grievances that are a fraction of that over someone's head. I think not only does Scripture tell us this, but it's for our own well-being. Imagine if I could carve inside the shell that sits in these seats right now, and I could look at some of the depression and anxiety some of the physical issues with your own physical heart and your own physical body, how many of those can be traced back to unforgiveness, unresolved bitterness, unresolved anger in your life because of a past boss or a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or this person or that person, like how much of that is wearing down on who we are. Not only is it good for your spiritual life, it is good for your physical life as well. But man, where, where do we start? How do we do this? Number one, I think that forgiveness is the hardest single thing of following Jesus. It is way easier to give money. It is way, way easier to show up to church every Sunday. It's way easier to have all the outward manifestations of looking godly. I think forgiveness is the hardest thing that Jesus asks us to do. It's hard, man. It is really, really hard. But I also think that it's not a suggestion. It's a requirement for us as believers. But, but I want to I separate something here real quick. I don't think that all debt is equal. I don't. It's not in this text. And I don't think it is in life either. And I want to separate two different types of debt right now, if we can, just for a moment. Some of you all have got debt here that is, it's different than other people in the room. And I want to call that out and separate that for a minute. Some of you have been victims of sexual abuse, victims of physical abuse, or victims of something that is, that is so horrific that it's hard to even put into words. All right? I want to separate that out for a minute because I do believe that for most of us, that forgiveness is going to take sometimes decades to get to. I'm not talking about that today. Okay? That, that's not what I'm addressing. What I'm addressing over here are people in the room that you know, you know that you continually allow this, this, this bitterness to be a hold up in your heart that's alienated you from family members. It's alienated you from friends. It's alienated from people you used to work with. And you keep living in this bitterness. And people know you like, well, man, don't cross her. Because if you cross her, man, she won't let it go. And man, do you really want to be known for that? I'm the man of principle. They offended me and I'm not going to let it go until they apologize. And I would say that another person's apology is not a condition of your forgiveness. 
For those of you that live over here, I think all I would ask you to do today is just say, Jesus, I don't know if I can forgive that person for how they violated me, how they hurt me. It is so severe. Maybe the best you can do today is like, Jesus, I'll think about it. Take that. But the people we're talking about, the most of the people who live a culture of bitterness, culture of writing people off, culture of alienating family, culture of alienating friends, and you've let this go on for decades over issues that really, compared to eternity and compared to what Jesus has done for you, are inconsequential compared to what you've been forgiven. I think we all, including myself, have to ask the Holy Spirit for help. I do believe that forgiveness can come with boundaries. I, I doubt this king would have loaned this guy 5.5 billion again. I think boundaries are appropriate. But when will we stop seeking the demise and the destruction of another person? Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Forgive every time. And what it doesn't look like is we leave the service today, we call somebody up and say, listen, I just want to call you. I get really convicted by the Holy Spirit about something this, you know, this guy was, was talking on stage and I want to, you know, that even though you're a terrible human being and nobody in our family likes you and you're completely wretched, I forgive you for all of your stupidity. No, that's not what that looks like. That's not what this looks like. You don't need their apology to be a condition of your forgiveness. How long are you going to let this drip go on in your heart? How long are you going to choose to stay alienated from people that you know you should love? How long will you continue to allow it to tear your job apart, your school apart? Christmas, Easter, family gatherings apart. I'm not talking about this stuff over here. You understand? I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about these grievances that it is time to let go. Let's clean up our house. Let's deal with the mold and mildew of bitterness and anger. Let's stop justifying our behavior because we think we're in the right. Let's stop thinking that we will forgive them when they prove to us that they've earned our forgiveness because thanks, <laughs> thanks be to God that he doesn't do the same thing to us. True? Imagine if he treated you the same way that you may want to treat them. Whew. Be a dark day, wouldn't it? You know, we all want, as believers, if you're a believer in here, and I'm, I'm speaking a little bit of inside baseball language to, to Christians today. If you're, if you're new here, you're just sitting there going, whoo, man, that guy really lit them up. Enjoy it. I'm lighting myself up, to be honest with you. <laughs> this is me preaching to my own heart. Truth of the matter is, we all say as Christians we want to be Christ-like, right? True? Yeah? You realize there's no other time in your life you can look more like Jesus than when you forgive another person. No other time. Not when you serve here at the church, not when you give money to, you know, to this ministry and that ministry, not when you serve the homeless, none of that. Not when you give money to the guy you know, as you're driving by and he's got the sign up, none of that. You never look more like Jesus. You never look more Christ-like than when you make the decision to forgive another person. And I believe the same power that raised the Holy Spirit from the dead can help you do that. 
my challenge to all of us, myself included, is we need to forgive because we were forgiven. We were the guy that owed 5.5 billion and we were given grace. He canceled our debt. He said to Telestai and he set us free. Forgive because Jesus requires it. Forgive because it is best for you, not only spiritually, it's best for your own mental health, your own physical well-being. And forgive because it is a witness to a world that is hell-bent on revenge. And forgive because it's the culture of the kingdom. I want to read this last verse just a few times. I want to let you set in your heart. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Typically what happens right now is we're, we're in the moment of we're justifying why we're going to stay mad at that person. So we read it again. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I'm not talking about these issues right now. Some of you are still sitting there still justifying why you should be mad at a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or, who, or some other person you used to work with way back in the day or whatever else it is. And my question is, how do you address this text when it says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart? Church, let's deal with the drip. Let's don't Febreze it. Let's deal with the anger, the animosity, the resentment, the hurtment, the pain, the bitterness. Let's deal with the mold and the mildew that's eating us from the inside out. Let's don't allow it to destroy our own lives. And for the sake of the kingdom, let's don't allow it to destroy a church. Deal with 